Here we go. Okay, so um, we are two lines from the bottom on 30b. We're in an interesting discussion. Before you go in the base of Migdash, hopefully we'll all get to experience this, make sure to dunk. <laughs> well, we have to make sure we're pure. But assuming even though we know we're pure, let's say we got the, the third and the seventh day of the Paraduma ash, which we need to do to get rid of all death impurity, which uh, uh, it's, we probably all have these days. But uh, once we take care of that, so even so, we learned in the Mishnah that everybody, Kohen, non-Kohen, anybody who goes in the base of Migdash has to dunk. So the question was why? So there were two opinions. Uh, one opinion uh, said, uh, the uh, Benzoma, he said that it's really a requirement. Just look at the Kohen Gadol. Even when he's holy and he goes to another holy, when you change from one holy to another, it's like one world to another. You have to toivel. Because you're going from, whenever you enter a holiness, even if you're leaving a holiness, uh, you have to toivel. So certainly, when you're coming from unholy to holy, you have to toivel. That was the logic of Benzoma. It's pretty good logic. We didn't, the problem was that it's very hard to learn a mitzvah from logic. Meaning the, uh, so we were, in the, in the end, we were saying it's a positive command rather than a negative. Good morning, Rabbi Golding. We're just giving the introduction. We're reviewing the debate about the reason you have to toivel. So the first opinion is that it's a, uh, a like a command, a mitzvah to to toivel, a mitzvah saseh. The Torah is implying that you always try to sanctify yourself uh, before you go into an area of the Beis Hamikdash. The second opinion, Rabbi Yehuda, he said, no, it's just a, a rabbinic dunk. <laughs> what do you mean a rabbinic dunk? So the rabbis were aware that people go to the Beis Hamikdash from time to time. Even Kohanim weren't there all the time. And if you're not going to do active duty, uh, especially those days where you slaughtered your own animals, you could come in contact with a carcass. Or you could have somebody that, that uh, spritzed on you who was, uh, had issues. Uh, when we the person who's a Zav or a Zava who has, is bleeding, and you're talking to them, and uh, they, uh, instead of they spit on you, they say it, don't spray it, and they could make you tame. And you forgot about that because you weren't going in the base of English this week. Uh, and so now they know that when you're waiting in line to dunk, you might remember and you say, oh, yeah, actually, come think of it. I actually needed to dunk. <laughs> so it, that, that was the reason, uh, like Rabbi Yehuda. So it's interesting. There's two opinions. One is, again, is it, it's a Torah mitzvah to dunk before you go in the base of Migdush. And the other is that it's a rabbinic mitzvah. Uh, either way, you should dunk. Now we're going to see what's the difference. So, Yosef. Uh, you can read the words of it. Like Rabbi Yehuda, who says it's only rabbinic. This word tzrak means it's a rabbinic tumum. It's, uh, uh, according to that, so when you go to the mikvah, you uh, have to be very careful that you don't have an interposition on you, which means that you need that your whole body should go in the mikvah water. And if you have dirt on your body, the mikvah water is not going to touch the area where there's dirt. So you have to clean yourself. Now, we, somewhat, we're somewhat familiar with this women who have a uh, real Torah mitzvah to purify themselves. So they are extremely careful when they go to the mikvah that they bathe ahead of time. They soak 
and they uh, get rid of any dirt and they cut their nails and they clean under their nails and they got a whole list of stuff. They got to make sure their hair isn't knotted because they want the water to touch every part of their body and to make themselves totally pure. Whereas us men, uh, some of us, especially uh, around the Yom Tovim, we go to the mikvah and we just go in and out, click, chick, chuck. Uh, we don't go any, ha- any hour-long bath, and we don't make sure we're totally clean. And so the question is, why not? And the answer is that our tefillah is just a, uh, it's just a custom. It's not really even a Torah uh, command. And so, therefore, we don't have to be super careful in all the details. Uh, now, I had, for example, um, I once did a man convert. So that, that tefillah is a Torah tefillah. He had to bathe for an hour, you know. He had to get every bit, bit of dirt off him. He had some ink stains on his hands. He had to get that cleaned off. It took forever. Uh, but he, because when you do a Torah dunking, you have to be careful that there's no interpositions. When you're just doing a custom, a slight mitzvah, uh, you don't have to take an hour-long bath before you dunk. So the question is, like Rabbi Yehuda, who said, the purpose of dunking is to maybe remember if you became Tommy. So, as we turn to today's page, do you need to worry about interpositions? Do you need to soak for an hour? Do you need, I don't know if you have to soak for an hour, it's a long time. Uh, it's the, the whole process typically takes the people that do it an hour to get perfectly clean. They've got to clean their fingernails and their toenails, and they, uh, they're supposed to look if they have ink stains anywhere, and they, if their hair is knotted, it's a whole it's a whole. Uh, it's a big, uh, big thing. Whereas, uh, so or not. So Amrle, he answered him, "Called the tikkun rabbanik ain the arise to tikkun." If the rabbis instituted a dunk, they if there's a rabbinic mitzvah to go, you're going to have to do it the same way you would a Torah mitzvah. Uh, you, you can't, because otherwise it gets too confusing. If people are used to going to the mikvah and not checking, let's look at Rashi. Uh, like Rabbi Yehuda, who says it's just a rabbinic dunk. Do you say an interposition is no good like any other command to dunk? The only reason to go is remember in case a long time ago you got tummy. It's not really coming to purify. Maybe you don't got to worry about it. So that was the question. Okay, fine. Um, back to the Gemara. Alright, what about if you're not really going in the base of Migdash? If you're not, you're only going to be on the outside. And you're only sticking your finger in. Uh, or you're only going to be, uh, would you also have to dunk or not? In other words, uh, we're saying if you go in, you have to dunk. But what if you're not really going in the base of Migdash? Just one of your limbs is going in. So, Well, look at the lepers. They got to stick their thumbs up. Their thumbs go in the base of Migdash and their big toe. And they're only going in a little bit. You see that even if you're only going a little, you still need to dunk. Okay, so that clarified that. Next question. Um, now, so again, uh, let's say... Um, you, uh, uh, you sleep late, you, get, uh, you oversleep, and you're needed in the base of Migdush, and you don't really have time to dunk, uh, or you have ink on yourself, and you just don't have time to clean that all off. Uh, so the question is, is there any shortcut to this dunking? So the more wants to know the following. Let's say you're the shochet, and you don't have time to dunk. 
can you, you pull out a very long knife? It's a little far-fetched. Can you stand outside the base of Migdush, or outside over the line, pull out the knife that will reach into the base of Migdush, because it has to be shechted in the base of Migdush, and shecht? That would be the question. Because it can't, it can't transmit through the line. Right, it won't transmit through the night, right? And the knife will be in the base of Migdush, but see, if he goes over the line, he's got to dunk, and then he's got to clean off all the dirt on himself and cut his nails and whatever, and uh, so he doesn't have time to worry about that. Can he just get a long knife and do the shkita that way? See, boy, the benzoma, he boy, the rabban, the pligit. You can ask on both questions. He boy, the benzoma, ad kan lo benzoma el la gavai. Benzoma only said there's a mitzvah if you're going in. Ava Levroy, but if you're outside, why should you need to dunk? Oh, Dilma, or maybe Asilem Shuke. Maybe you need to dunk because you, you, uh, it's very hard to do everything outside. You might lean in. You might come to lean in. I mean, if your knife is inside, all it takes is a, the animal, a little tug or something, and you'll lean in. The boy, the Rabbanin, you could ask this question like the Rabbanin who argued me, who'd add kind of karhasam of it avoda. There, they said, if you're not doing a service, you're not required. that this is a real service. Doing shkita, of course you have to go to the mikvah. Oh, Dilma, Loshna, maybe it's no different. Teku. This one for the long knife is for Elio and Navi. We're not going to solve that one. Uh, let's do the Rashi on that. Uh, six lines down. Maushiyasa Sakana Ruka. Can you use the long knife? Let your Asamanitfila and get out of dunking. Viyaman Chutzazor. You'll be standing outside. Now, how do you do it? And you stick your hands uh, inside. Are you exempt in that way? Maybe you need. Um, now, why don't we ask if you can... The Corbin is kosher that way. We didn't ask that. There's a Pasuk that says that the the animal has to be inside, but it doesn't say that the shokhet has to be inside. So Rashi's just explaining, why are we asking if you need to dunk? Why don't we even ask if it's kosher to have the shokhet outside? So Rashi answered, we know it's kosher to have the shokhet outside. But the question is, as far as dunking goes, are we afraid? Um, Rashi revealed something that I hadn't even said. He says the shokhet's hands go inside. I thought maybe the knife was long enough that you wouldn't need that. But uh, Rashi says that it's, his hands are like sticking in, right? That's the way Rashi said. Uh, but that, that was the question, and the Gemara left it unanswered. Okay. Whether he had to be dip, dunk just because his hands were going to be in the Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what Rashi said. Oh, okay. I, I, I thought maybe the knife was long enough that you didn't even... I, I, my guess is that if you're going, you know, you're doing the motion that there's really... You can't, it'd be kind of hard, it'd be more like a saber. I don't even know, if, you know how you would check like it's that. It's almost as if the Rashi's saying it's, it's, it's not even a question. It's not even a question if the knife, knife is long enough that your hands don't go into the base and make, make this, right? He's almost saying that's not, that's not even an issue. Well, he didn't, right, correct. Uh, I, I, like I said, I, I, had, I, had, um, I don't know why he learned the case that way. It's just interesting. Okay. But didn't we just learn that the Mitzvah, who only sticks his thumbs in, has to immerse? Right, right. We did, so right. It seems like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, I, don't, I don't follow why that would be that it would be okay for the Shochet to just stick his hands in. Right. 
I, I, I'm really bothered by the same question as you. That's why I didn't learn it that way. And then as I'm, I, usually I think I picked it up from Rashi, and then I'm reading Rashi, and I say, wait a second, he said something I didn't say. So um, uh, that's a good point. And he sticks his hands, and he shechs. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'll, maybe by the second or third class, I'll have it figured out. Okay. Uh, but, uh, okay, good question. Uh, moving along. It's the two dots. Uh, so, kind of getting back to our kind, we, we, we're going back and forth. We got onto the overall subject of needing to dunk before you, anybody, even a regular Kohen or... But now we're getting back to the Kohen Gadol. So Kohen Gadol is very busy on Yom Kippur, and he goes to the mikveh five times, and he washes his hands and feet ten times, uh, amongst other things. So Taner Abanim, Chamesh five dunks and ten holinesses. Uh, what's great is that the washing of the hand is called Kiddush. It's called sanctifying. That's Kiddush Yadayim V'Raglayim, the sanctifying of one's hands or feet. That's the same word we use on Shabbos, where we sanctify the Shabbos. We get married as Kiddush. Right? It's, a, it's interesting how that word works. It's a, uh, but it's a, uh, uh, the pouring of the water is sanctifying one's hands. So, uh, ten Kiddushes, ten Kiddushin, Toivu Kangaro Umekadosh Bobayom. He dunks and he sanctifies just Yom Kippur morning. Bekula Mekodesh. And all of them have to be in the Beis HaMikdash area, and they're on the roof of the Parva. The Parva uh, was the chamber that was in the Beis HaMikdush, and the roof was sanctified. Uh, except for the first one, Shahaisa Bechol, the first one was in the, um, uh, outside the Beis HaMikdush, al Gabe Sharamayim, in Watergate. That was in Washington, D.C., I think. But uh, that's the, uh, the Watergate was where they had the outside mikvah. Um, somebody was talking about this yesterday. They, they found all kinds of mikvahs all around the Beis HaMikdush area which makes sense. In other words, they had so many people coming, they probably had multiple mikvos, uh, that they've, they've, a number of them we, they, we now have access to. Um, the, the rabbis get a kick out of going to the mikvos and measuring them and seeing that they're made exactly as we make them today. So in other words, it's like nothing's changed. Like, a, it'd be, you know, if you found the coin Gadol's mikvah was like the wrong size or something, you'd be like, a, but the, you actually... The, you can tell that they're mikvahs because they're built according to spec in the Mishnah. That's exactly what they find. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I just found a footnote in the art school that says that although Rashi renders the Gemara's question in terms of whether the slaughterer may stretch his hand into the courtyard, mm-hmm. Rashi actually means the knife in the person's hand. For certainly one may not insert even his hand in the courtyard without immersing beforehand. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That solves the problem. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting, uh, he's almost forced to say that, but okay, yeah, very good. So uh, he, he's answering that Rashi didn't say that, even though it sounded like he said that. That's, that's not what Rashi meant. Rashi right, meant to stick his yeah. hand in with a knife, but not actually his hand in. Okay, good, very good. Uh, thank you. Who, does he quote someone on that, or that's the, just Rabbi Art School? Uh, it's Rabbi Art School, it does, well, uh, so it also says, um, as we learned above, Siach Yitzchak, mm-hmm. also Rishash. Oh, okay. So I'm not sure. I'll check the Rishash. It's very likely to be in the Rishash. And that come, the okay. Rishash is almost the go-to person when there's something funny in Rashi. Uh-huh. That's the, okay. That's, he's the guy in the back who, uh, whenever Rashi says something really surprising, look in the Rishash and he'll tell you. Yeah. He, is, he also he went to the old manuscripts um, 
And the old manuscript, sometimes a word or two is different, and that solves the problem. Uh, but anyway, back to the Gemara. So again, where were these mikvahs? So one of them was the special one on the roof in the base of Migdusha, the roof of the Parva room. And the other one was uh, in the water gate. And it was, on, it was close to the Kain Gadol's chamber. Now, there's a little bit of a challenge. How would you get uh, the water, to, a mikvah, to the roof? How do you, a mikvah has to be natural water. Um, there is a possibility of a cistern, but um, a cistern is very tricky to have enough water for a mikvah. The best way, or the most uh, common way in those days, was to have a well. So we have a tradition that there was a well in the Beis Amigdush called Ayin Atum. So the only problem is you have to figure out how high the roof was. To, the well had to be that high up because you can't transport the water in a bucket or side. It has to flow directly from the well to the roof. So Abayi says it's an interesting thing. You're forced to say from this, Ayin Atum, the uh, the well of Etam, Gavoa Mekarka, Azara, Esim, Mishlosh, Amas. It had to be 23 Amas high. How do we get 23 in Tanan? Kol Apsachim, Shayusham. Every doorway there, Gavoa Nesrim, Amas, was 20 Amas high. So the height of the buildings were 20 Amas. But Rachvana and were 10 wide. Chutz Mishalum, except for the Ulam, that, that was even higher. Vitanya. So the, at a minimum, the height of the buildings were 20 Amas high. So if this is on the roof of the building, it has to be higher than... It's a pretty high up... It's not a problem because this was a mountain, but it's a pretty high up well. Vitanya, now, where do we get the three? So the assumption here is that uh, the height of a mikvah is going to take three amas. How do we know that? Vitanya, rachas b'sero b'mayim b'mei mikvah. You will bathe yourself in the water of the mikvah. Kol b'sero b'mayim. You have to be able to dunk your whole body in. If your whole body doesn't go in the mikvah, it won't work. And how big is that? That's an amma by an amma barum gimel amas. So basically what we're going to say is that it takes three amas uh, to build a mikvah. Which is not so, I mean, it's about uh, four and a half feet to have a mikvah that, you, that uh, the average person would have no problem dunking in. Before we turn the page, we'll do an interesting tosus. And so uh, therefore it's got to be 20 amas plus three because you need the water to flow over into the mikvah. So it puts the uh, height of the well 23 amas high. Let's see Tosus here. Uh, how do you know it's three amas high? It's a great question. Um, let's see. Uh, it's the second Tosus from the bottom. Ein uh, and we said it was gova. It was hot 23 amas above the ground level of the Beis HaMikdosh. Tamalim, and all the Beis HaTfilah has to go. How do you know that where they dunked was three amas high. Dilma lo haisa gavoa ela amma, maybe it was only an amma high, v'orcho shosh amas, v'koen havein mashkivas, maybe he did a, a lie-down uh, a, a lie dunk. Sometimes you'll go into a pond, and you'll, like you do in the Dead Sea, where you just lie flat, you know? So maybe you, you don't have to dunk where you, like, jump in, you know, or where you, you, you could do a, a lying-down dunking. And if that's true, then the mikvah is only, you know, an hour and a half hole. You just scoot yourself in under. Never seen a, mil- a mikvah built like that, but why not? So what's the proof? That's a great question, right? Uh, that, or Yinami, or maybe or maybe it was just two amas, maybe it's a sitting mikvah. Maybe you don't know how to swim. And you could sit in the mikvah, and it's only, it's only sit height. 
<laughs> How do you know that it's enough that you could like stand when you go in there? That's it. So those are Rashi's question, Tosa's question. But yes, he said, He says, It was a hard day. They weren't going to make it that the mikvah was really hard to dunk in there. He says that you can kind of assume that it wasn't easy to dunk mikvah. Uh, it's easy. The easiest way to go in a mikvah is if you can just step into it, not where you have to uh, uh, sit into it or lie into it. So he says that the Gemara is just assuming that that's how, how it would have been made. You wouldn't have expected that a coin guttle had to go crawling into a mikvah. It just wasn't what you would expect. Okay, that was a fascinating question. All right, back to the Gemara. Um, Almost every question is, is a good question. If it's uh, as we turn the page, now the one has another question. All right, the roof was twenty amas high, but uh, that's uh, the you need space for the cement. In other words, va'ika ama tikra va'ama maziva. What about the uh, the the roof was built at the end of twenty amas, but you have to include the space for the uh, the structure, the base of migdash. Uh, so I'm sorry, I'm a maziva. So, so the they had so the bucket would come up out of the well and they would tip it over and then it would no go no no the, the well the well would flow down into the into the mikvah. But how did the water get up to the top? It was it was a mountain top and there was a well and the question is how high up up the mountain was the well? Right. So, so we're saying just, that the water came up to the top of the well. Is that what we're that's saying? That's right. That's oh, what we're saying. So that's what we're saying. It had to have been higher up. It had to have been on a high spot. So the question was, how high? And we're saying it had to have been at least 23. Otherwise, it wouldn't be able to flow over the top. So it's just a lot of ground pressure is what it is. Yeah. They didn't physically get the water to go No, 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 no. We know that there was a well. The Gemara is saying, well, the well would have had to have been pretty high up to reach the roof to build a mikvah up there. And so it could be the Gemara is saying it was, but we just need to, the Gemara is just deducing that. So, but the Gemara is saying, well, why do you saying twenty three? That's assuming that the roof is uh, is uh, very thin. If you have to add space for the building itself, right. so the structure Gemara, material. the Gemara says, He says actually the roofs were made out of shayish, some kind of know Jerusalem stone, some kind of stone. So, but mashu they didn't really need all the cement, and it was a very thin roof. Okay. So the Gemara said, "Ve'ika ek mashu," but still, it's something. It's marble. Marble. Okay, thank you. They had marble roof. I guess so. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Shayish is marble. Um, I guess they had a roof of marble. Why not? Um, it's so heavy. But I guess it's thin. <laughs> that's the. Uh, it was beautiful. So, but that's that's your, that's the trans. Thank you, Rich. That's the translation of marble. But so Morris says, no matter what it is, it takes up some space. So it should be 23 plus marble material. So Morris says, but it still was less than an ama. It wasn't, a, we're not going to list halves. It's not 23 and three quarters. They, they, they were able to build the roof. Now, once you have an ama and a half, that kind of gives you enough space to build. An ama and a half is a, you know, a foot and a half. Um, uh, not a foot and a half. An ama and a half is, uh, yeah, so that's plenty of space to build a, Decent marble roof. Okay. So then we said, Pirsu Shad and Shabuts, then when the Koen Gadol used the mikveh in the front, uh, where everybody else was around, so they had a privacy uh, sheet that they put up. But it had to be a linen sheet. And Morris says, well, once you have a privacy sheet, who 
cares what you make it out of? Whatever kind of material was the easiest. Why does it say it was specifically linen? My shabuts. My shabuts. The answer is, They wanted to remind the coin gadol that you got to put your whites on. That's why we wear white yarmulkes. Uh, it's a day of white. That's the, to remind us of the avodas hayom. Um, let's see, Rashi. Shavodas hayom big day boots. Three lines down. Shiesh hayom olav avodas shu big day boots. To remind the kohen gadol, you can't wear your eight garments today. That today you do have some of the services that have to be done in the white linens. Lefish enu ragul shorish below shmona begadim. Usually, kohen gadol never goes in without all eight garments. Yesh man shows up, and some of them are gold. Kigon sits. The, the, the head plate, the choshen, the ephod, the mil. Rashi, it's interesting over here. Rashi's bothered by a question, I guess, um, uh, and that is the regular Kohen clothes, they don't all have gold on them, and uh, actually they do, is Rashi's answer. Meaning it's not just the head plate, but also the choshen. And he says the, the pomegranates were gold. The pomegranates were the little bells on the shirt, on the tunic. So he had a lot of gold on him. So actually, that's why you couldn't wear them on Yom Kippur, because you didn't wear gold. In other words, it wasn't just the head plate was gold, as Rashi's saying. Rashi's saying you, have, you had gold pomegranates, and you had uh, the, uh, the, the Yehoshin the, uh, the, with the gems. That also was gold. So lots of gold that, that you can't wear on the Yom Kippur service. You didn't wear the seats on, on Yom Kippur, I guess? Well, correct. You, you put on the linens, the pure white linen, uh-huh. very simple... Yom Kippur is a very simple day. We get down to the basics. Only white, you know, simple white garments. Okay. Uh, Rabbi, uh-huh. I thought the pomegranates were wool and the gold was the bells that went between them. Um, Upamone Hamil. You're saying it's the, the clapper was gold? Or the... Um, the bell. They had a, a... It was a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate... That's the way it went all the way around. The hymn of the garden, Norman. No. It, it's the bell. Uh huh. The pomonium are the bells. The clappers were gold. That's exactly right. Oh, okay. Well, I thought the clapper and the bell itself were all gold. Uh, the clapper's the thing inside the bell. Right. So, thank you, Doctor. So, but the pomegranate was the bell. Uh, but. The question is, which part of it was gold? That I'm not. I, I imagine though they both were gold in order to make the noise, unless you had like a gold clapper and a and a metal outside. But I imagine gold also clanks, you know, it jingles, gold jingles. Why not? I imagine. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll get enough gold to try it one day. All right. Let's see the Mishnah. Thank you though for the question. That's a good point. Okay. Let's see the Mishnah. So Kain Gadol's getting ready. So before you dunk in the mikvah, you got to take off your clothes. So Pasha, he takes off his clothes. You're, this is the instruction manual. You know, everything a Kain Gadol needs to know. And again, you can't leave anything out. If you do something wrong, he's in big trouble. Or we're in big trouble. So the Mishnah is very clear. So Pasha, he takes off his clothes. Yorid, he goes down. Vitoival, and he dunks. Ola, he comes up. He better come up. Vinistapig, and then he dries. Vehevio, big days of. So the first service of the day... It's not the Yom Kippur, it's the regular tummy that you do every day, so they bring him his gold clothes. And he dresses in them. And then he washes his hands and feet. And they bring him the daily offering. He gets room service. They bring him the offering. They bring him the, uh, the lamb. Uh, they bring it to him. And Kotsu. And he does the main shkita. 
So it doesn't use the, the coin gadol here, shechs. Now it doesn't use the word shokat because he doesn't finish the job because he's got to catch the blood. And also, um, he, we try to make it easy on him. We had this before, that he does most of the shkita, but someone else finishes it. So the word where you do part of it is called a kortsu. It's like a, a small cut. So he does the small cut. And someone else will finish it off. Now, normally, it's a little controversial. You're not allowed to hesitate in the middle of a shkita. Meaning that uh, if you pause in the middle of a shkita, it's no good. It's got to be a quick motion. Um, I, I was at a shkita once where I, uh, the rabbanu were watching a shokat and they felt he was too slow. You know, he, he paused or he... Uh, uh, it's also a problem if, uh, if a shokat gets older and he starts, his, he shakes a little bit. That's it. He's, he's finished. You can't shake like that. So the, it must be that he shakes the majority of the animal. 51%. It's hard to tell 51. He probably shakes about 60%. So we know that the animal's already shakted. The, uh, we finish the shkita, but really the animal shakted it already. So someone else takes over, and then this way he can get the, uh, the klisharis ready to catch the blood. Kibola sedam, and then he sprinkles it. Niknes lahaktak toashoshachar, and then he gets ready to do the morning incense. Lahaiti veseneros, and then he fixes the menorah. Lahakir vesarosh, and then he brings up the head, vesevorim, vachavitim, and then he brings up the coin gadol's daily offering, veseyayin, and the wine. Um, so you see, the coin gadol was a pretty busy man. Okay. Ketorah shoshachar. Now, what about these morning incense? When, did, when was that burnt? So ketorah shoshachar, it was in between the blood and the limbs. Now, the evening ketorah, that was in between the evorim and the liquids. Imayu koin gadol zaken or istinus. Next, let's go back to the, uh, the mikvah story. Um, in, in the morning in Yushalayim, it, it can be chilly that time of year. I don't know how chilly, but it's certainly uh, a mikvah that's in the ground. It's cold. If you've ever uh, gone into a ground mikvah, it, it's, it's pretty cold outside. It's, it wakes you up. But what about if the Kohen Gadol was old? Old people don't like, uh, don't like cold water. <laughs> they don't like cold baths. Or maybe he's an istinus. Maybe he's a wealthy guy. Istinus is a finicky kind of Kohen Gadol who is very rich and wealthy and is not used to taking cold baths. So uh, how is he going to go into that cold mikvah? Uh, you could always tell, like, if the, when you go swimming, there's those people who, like, stick their toe in and they're taking a long time because <laughs> they, they just, uh, for them, it's, like, really rough to jump in something cold. It's, uh, they say, you know, you're just supposed to run and jump in without thinking, right? But if you're an istinist, if you're one of those guys that needs to, just can't jump into a cold mikvah, so what do you do? So they had a method to help the coin gadol out. Mechamen lo what they would do is they would heat up the water, Rashi says, on Erev Yom Kippur. You can't, can't make a fire on Yom Kippur. Umatil nesocha hasonen. And they would pour the hot water into the mikvah water to warm it up. Now, the water is sitting overnight. So it's not going to be still warm. I mean, they had thermoses, uh, we think that our thermoses are new. They, had, they used to keep the crockpots warm. They had all kinds of insulation in those days, too. Uh, they, they weren't called crockpots. They, um, they would bury it in the sand, and they, they had ways of keeping the water hot to the next morning. But it still wasn't steamy. But what it would do is, Kadesh Topic Sinas, it would take the chill off the water. Let's see the Rashi. Mechamen lo chamen. Uh, on the mission of the era of Yom Kippur, they did that before Yom Kippur. There was a uh, next to the mikvah, 
And again, we do that too. Believe it or not, that's the way our mikvahs work. We have the real mikvah, which is the, what they call the bore, the pit where it has the rainwater. And then we have our hot water that we dunk in, which is because uh, we all need hot water for the most part. Shetapik, Rashi said, lahamer meyad sinasto, to remove the cold a little bit. Uh, that's this word, little bit. Uh, Rashi goes into the, the, this, uh, Dr. Yaffe would appreciate this word, tapping, where that comes from, the, to take away the cold. But at any rate, back to the Gemara. So they had a method for an old, old coin gadol who needed it to be not freezing, that they could uh, warm up the mikvah a little bit. Especially, it's got to go in there 10 times. You know, you could get a chill or something. Okay, back to the Gemara. Um, Our mission doesn't seem to fit with Rameir. Rameir says that you need to wash twice. Alavisha avid lahu. He says, when you take, before you take your clothes off and before you put them on, you need to wash before you take them off. And also, uh, you, need, you need to do a double washing. So, alavisha avalahu. So, uh, you need to, to wash on getting dressed. Hachanami, levit tre kedushe. Alavisha. So, here, when the kind God is getting dressed, shouldn't he wash twice? So, omalu repapa, bein rabbana, bein rabmer, chad, abshiti de bede kodesh. One, you have to take a wash before you take off holy garments. The chad alavisha, and one is on dressing in the holy garments. This is the debate. It says like this. It says you take off your garments and then you wash and then you get dressed. The Torah compares undressing to getting dressed. My levisha, just like when you put on the garments. Lovish, you dress in Kohen garments and then you wash your hands and, and feet. Also, when you take off holy garments, you take them off. Comes out you're washing naked pretty much. You know, but that's what you do. You wash after the, on the putting on and the taking off of garments. Rabban and they say no. Makish pita levisha. You compare the taking off to the wearing. My pita levisha kshu lovish mikadosh. You only wash when you're wearing your clothes. Af pita kshu lovish mikadosh. You also when you get dressed you put on, but you you don't wash afterwards. It's an interesting concept that when you take off something, um, th- there's a lot of symbolism to the word uh, to dress. Uh, we believe that we're in control of our emotions and our feelings and our moods. We dress ourselves in them. We, in other words, now we need to be happy, so we put on our happy clothes. And now we need to be serious, we put on, that's called to dress, to, to wear. We wear the appropriate mood of the time. And so the, before, each service needs a different uh, preparation, and so that's why you wash. So the question is, well, when you take off your garments, do you also need to... Uh, you know, before I was doing super duper holy, and now I'm about to take that off. Do I also need to wash or not? I'm just trying to give some of the background logic and the a little bit of svara. So Omer Abanur Papa Mimati Amis Haki, could you say this? Fahatanya, didn't we learn the following? Pirsus Sadin Shabutz, that when the coin gado was unclothed, they they put a cloth sheet up. Beno lebenam. Pasha, he took off his clothes, v'yered, and he went down, v'toivl, and he dunked, v'ol, and stopic, and then he dried. Hevilo big days of, and they, they brought him his gold clothing, v'lovesh, and he put it on, v'kinesh yad v'raglav. And he only washed afterwards. Whereas Rameir said clearly, Pasha, he took off his clothes, v'kinesh yad v'raglav. Again, Rameir's opinion is there was a washing when he took off his clothes. 
Then he went down, and he dunked, and he stopped, and they dried himself a heavy low big days of, and they brought the Gold Coast for Lovish Akidish Yad of Raglov. So basically, we see that there is this opinion in Rav Meir. I guess if you learned it, you learned it. Uh, so um, that's always like the Gemara's conceding. I guess you're right. That is what Rav Meir holds. And we'll get into this tomorrow to explain the debate about if there's a washing when you take off or not, or is it only after you put on. Okay. Have a great day, a, everybody. A pre-wash to the mikvah, though, right? Right, that's, that's right. Yeah. Well, Michael's saying, are you washing before you go to the mikvah, or are you... I, I understood that you're washing because you took your clothes off. Because oh, you I removed see. your garment, so that's why yeah, you're washing. Yeah. And I'm saying... Uh, I, I, I thought it was... Yeah. Okay. Pre-washing.